Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Jeremiah, Human Struggle with the Divine Call. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, August 25th, 2013. I have a friend who had two successful ministries that both ended badly. There was nothing funny about it at the time, but later she joked that once the institution failed her, and that the other time she failed the institution. Both experiences, she wryly observed, proved the adage that individuals exist for institutions, and not vice versa. The institution always wins. <clears throat> The passage of time gave her some psychological space to think about what had happened. A constellation of questions offered a rich fun for critical reflection. Maybe she had a quirky personality. Was there a bad fit between person and organization? What about the res residue of regret, discouragement, and feelings of powerlessness about the past? Was she damaged goods with no prospect for the future? Most of all, though, she wondered how God's call fit with human failure. Thinking about my friend made me thankful for Jeremiah. His book begins in chapter 1 by describing how God called him to be a prophet to Judah. God's call on his life began not only 40 years of faithful, if reluctant, service, but also 40 years of deeply personal struggle for the weeping prophet. Jeremiah's many troubles remind us that there's no call without conflict. One of my favorite books about our human struggle with God's call is The Diary of a Country Priest, by George Bernanos. In the words of the young and earnest priest in Bernanos's novel, quote, we pay a heavy, very heavy price for the superhuman dignity of our calling. The ridiculous is always so near to the sublime, and the world, usually so indul indulgent to foibles, hates ours instinctively. Jeremiah responded to God's call with protests of personal inadequacies. His sense of inadequacy didn't derive from petty problems, from false modesty, nor was it a mere rhetorical device used by the author. Across 40 years, Jeremiah struggled with God's call on his life, with a sense of failure, with virulent opposition from critics, and with deep discouragement. <clears throat> his response recalls how Moses protested God's call on his life with a litany of fears, lack of confidence, limited skill, insecurities about personal identity, and fear of rejection. It also brings to mind Isaiah's profound sense of personal sin in chapter 6 of Isaiah and even Jesus' rejection by his hometown, Nazareth. 
The diary of a country priest is actually a diary that the priest keeps about his ministry. He does so for several reasons. To unburden himself to God. To cultivate a sense of brutal honesty with himself. And to record the simple, trivial secrets of a very ordinary kind of life. He describes his rural parish as bored and boring, at times petty and often indifferent. They spread rumors about him, but he loves his people deeply, he prays for them, and he visits every home at least once every three months. Like Jeremiah, Moses, and Isaiah, his introspection leads to disillusionment. He clashes with his clergy colleagues. He knows that he's physically clumsy and socially awkward. He ponders the absurdity of prayer. He agonizes over his loneliness and sense of isolation. He has a keen sense of history and his own obscure role to play. <coughs> When he shares the gospel, he sometimes feels like he's merely play-acting in parroting clichés. He compares his restlessness to a hornet in a bottle. His subsistence diet and inadequate salary aggravate a chronic sickness that causes him to loathe his body. He admits that he himself is responsible for some of his bitter disappointments. Reflecting upon his wretched weakness, he struggles with a deep sense of total failure. In his own words, that my best is nothing. From a merely human perspective, the priest is not wrong to draw this conclusion. And so, like Jeremiah and many others, the priest in Bernanos' diary frets about his call. He asks, am I where our Lord would have me? Twenty times a day, I ask this question. His elders give him some wise advice about perseverance. Bernanos writes, keep saying your lessons. Go on with your work. Keep at the little daily things that need doing till the rest comes. Concentrate. Think of a lad at his homework, trying so hard and his tongue sticking out. That's how our Lord would have us be when he gives us up to our own strength. Little things, they don't look like much, yet they bring peace. Like wild flowers which seem to have no scent until you get a field full of them. Keep marching to the end and try to end up quietly at the roadside without shedding your equipment. But God gave Jeremiah something more important than an exhortation about perseverance. He promised his divine presence. He says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you a prophet to the nations, 
So do not be afraid, for I am with you. Believing this promise required the audacity to believe that the sender knew who he was sending, that his message lived independent of the messenger, that his presence gave perspective to his problems, and that conflict was not inimical to God's call. Like Moses and Jer Isaiah, Jeremiah learned to acknowledge rather than to deny or even to overcome his many inadequacies. In Marilyn Robinson's novel, Gilead, which won the Pulitzer Prize in 2005, the narrator, pastor, John Ames, ponders a lifetime of listening for God's call. He reflects upon his accumulation of life experiences and how they wove a rich tapestry whose beautiful texture could only result from many different strands. Frailty and failure, memory and mystery, darkness and disappointment, regret and reconciliation, and, weaving it all together, sheer gratitude and joy at how remarkably beautiful the resulting garment of his life still was. Near the end of his life, Pastor Ames writes to his son. He says, I always imagine divine mercy giving us back to ourselves and letting us laugh at what we became, laugh at the preposterous disguises of crouch and squint and limp and lower we all do put on. I enjoy the hope that when we meet in heaven, I will not be estranged from you by all the oddness that life has carved into me. And so in the end, Bernarnos' priest, Jeremiah, and Robinson's pastor trusted God's words in this first chapter of Jeremiah. Don't be afraid for I am with you. I have called you by name and appointed you. For books this week, I review a title called Eating Animals. The author is Jonathan Four. New York, Little Brown, 2009. 341 pages. <clears throat> For much of his life, Jonathan Four was a selective omnivore. He was mainly vegetarian, but he ate meat every once in a while. He acknowledged what he calls his conscious inconsistency and the confounding complexity of this issue and the forgivable fallibility of being human. But when his first child was born, it caused him to think more deeply and directly about eating animals. Today he's a strict vegetarian, and this book explains why. There are many reasons to be vegetarian, but for four it boils down to two words, factory farms. Or, in the language of the Environmental Protection Agency, 
concentrated animal feeding operations. They control about 99% of the meat that we eat. The figures are staggering. Tyson Foods slaughters 2.2 billion chickens every year. And that's a mere fraction of the 50 billion factory farm birds worldwide. Smithfield slaughters 31 million hogs a year. These factory farms are places of horrible cruelty, environmental degradation, contamination, and public health hazards. Four lets everyone have their say. He includes first-person narratives by people from across the spectrum. A factory farmer, one of the few independent slaughterhouse farmers, a traditional hog farmer, Bill and Nicolette Nyman, a PETA vegan, and so on. He freely acknowledges the good and extraordinary people in the meat industry who are working hard to find alternatives to factory farms. At the end of the day, though, in the words of Michael Pollan, eating industrial meat takes an almost heroic act of unknowing. And from that personal decision, it's a small step to public advocacy. Once again, the author is Jonathan Foer, F-O-E-R. The title of his book, Eating Animals. For movies this week, I review a title called Behind the Candelabra, 2013. At the peak of his career, Waladziu Valentino Liberace of West Allis, Wisconsin, was the highest paid entertainer in the world. Today we know him simply as Liberace. This made-for-HBO movie by Steven Soderbergh focuses only on the famously flamboyant pianist's six-year relationship with his much younger partner, Scott Thorson, and is based upon Thorson's own memoir of the same title that was published in 1988. Michael Douglas stars as Liberace and Matt Damon as Thorson. Throughout his career, Liberace denied that he was gay and he even sued successfully a London newspaper that made that claim. The reality, though, as this film shows, was very different. When he died in 1987, his publicist manipulated the coroner's report, but that report was overturned, and it was then publicly announced that the showman had died of AIDS complications. The film received rave reviews in the New Yorker magazine. The acting by Douglas and Damon is remarkable. And the story, spellbinding and tragic. Behind the Candelabra, about Liberace by Steven Soderbergh. For poems and prayers this week, we posted another of our Celtic poems and prayers. 
This one is called, I am bending my knee. <clears throat> I am bending my knee in the eye of the Father who created me, in the eye of the Son who purchased me, in the eye of the Spirit who cleansed me, in friendship and affection. Through thine own anointed one, O God, bestow upon us fullness in our need. Love towards God, the affection of God, the smile of God, the wisdom of God, the grace of God, the fear of God, and the will of God to do on the world of the three as angels and saints do in heaven. Each shade and light, each day and night, each time and kindness, give thou us thy spirit. I am bending my knee, one of the 25 Celtic poems and prayers on our website. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, August the 25th, 2013. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.